the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. So let's take a moment to reflect on that news. Okay. But really, just a moment. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another edition of the Bradcast. I guess we have to start uh, here. We do have to start here, right, Desi Doyen? I think we do. Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest reigning monarch and a rock of stability across much of a turbulent century, as AP describes her, and that much is certainly true, died on Thursday after 70 years on the throne. She was 96. The palace announced her death at Balmoral Castle, her summer residence in Scotland, where members of the royal family had rushed to her side after her health took a turn for the worst. A uh, link to the almost vanished generation that fought World War II. The Queen was the only monarch most Britons have ever known. Though she had been in somewhat fragile health, particularly since the death of her husband of 73 years, Prince Philip, who died in 2021 at the age of 99, her death still clearly came as a shock to Britons, as heard in this announcement of the Queen's passing on ITV on Thursday as the newscaster struggled to contain her own emotions. So let me just now repeat that statement from the royal household, which we have received in the last few minutes. It reads, the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening 
and will return to London tomorrow. And so the reign of Elizabeth II comes to a close after 70 years at the age of 96. Her son Charles is now king. For most of us, she has been the only monarch we have ever known. Her reign has been the longest and, in the view of many, one of the most successful in British history. Since her coronation in 1953, the young woman who became our queen at just 25 years of age set the standard by which future monarchs will be judged. She protected and she preserved the institution of the monarchy in turbulent times while shaping it for the future. A life devoted to public service that has endeared her to people both here, across the wider Commonwealth and indeed the world. And we will continue our live programming to reflect on the Queen's remarkable 70-year reign as we enter a new era under the new king. You can, I think, even uh, hearing it, you can yeah. get a sense of the uh, of her struggling to try to get through that. Yeah, because I think they knew that it was coming because, of course, there was all the news uh, in the hours prior to the announcement. But it, it was still a shock. But and it came actually quite quickly. I mean, in the hours leading up to it, they hadn't said it out loud uh, that it, you know it looked like uh, she must be gravely ill. They didn't say that, but that seemed uh, to be the indication. Uh, her 70, Elizabeth's 73-year-old son, Prince Charles, automatically becomes King Charles III, though his official coronation might not take place for months. The BBC played the national anthem, God Save the Queen, over a portrait of her in full regalia as her death was announced, and the flag over Buckingham Palace was lowered to half-staff as the second Elizabeth, Elizabethan age came to a close. Her death comes just two days after she presided at a ceremony at Balmoral Castle to accept the resignation of Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, and to appoint Liz Truss as his successor. Since the early 50s, Elizabeth, uh, the UK's longest reigning monarch, reigned over a Britain that rebuilt from war and lost its empire, joined the European Union and then left it. She endured through 15 prime ministers from Winston Churchill to Liz Truss, becoming an institution and an icon and a reassuring presence, even for those who ignored or loathed the monarchy. In April 2020, with the country in lockdown and Prime Minister Boris Johnson at the time hospitalized with the virus, Elizabeth made a rare video address urging people to stick together, to hang in there, summoning the spirit of World War II, that vital time in her life and for the life of her nation, by echoing Vera Lynn's wartime anthem, We'll Meet Again, telling her subjects, We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. But for now, I send my thanks and warmest good wishes to you all. 
Britain's Queen Elizabeth, dead at age 96. And somehow, and I'm, I'm no particular fan of the British royal family or, frankly, monarchies in general at all. Uh, nonetheless, it's still slightly more comforting somehow to report on that story today, Des. <laughs> than on the continuing mess in our own country. So I understand why the media is, you know, going wall to wall right now in in, uh, this country. Because they do uh, know how to cover it, sure. This is something that everybody sort of has their obits all ready to go. And, uh, you know, and it's true. She was was a beacon of stability for her times. And, um, you know, there's a lot of nuance to her life and her legacy and the legacy of the monarchy and of Britain in general and its colonialism. But I think uh, she earned a lot of respect for the duty and dedication to public service that, you know, she she fulfilled from birth, a, a role that was assigned to her from birth. So while it uh, might be more comforting to report (laughs) on that um, somehow, more so than what the mess in our country, uh, even though there continues to be signs that maybe, just maybe, someday soon we will shake off the shackles of the man in this nation who would be king if only he had the power to declare himself so. Not that he hasn't tried, but some good news there today, at least some. According to Reuters, the uh, news is both good and, and frankly, less good than it should be. You'll see what I mean. Days after Democratic President Joe Biden gave a fiery speech attacking former President Donald Trump and his Republican allies as an extremist threat, because they absolutely are, and if anything, uh, frankly, Joe Biden was polite enough to vastly understate that threat as I saw it. Days after that, a Reuters Ipsos poll completed on Wednesday found a majority of Americans believe that Trump that uh, Trump's movement is undermining democracy. A majority of Americans. Well, that is good. They certainly should. It is good to see evidence of that on paper right about now. 58% of respondents in the poll said that Trump's Make America Great Again movement is threatening America's democratic foundations, which is not too bad, actually. That's almost uh, 60% of of Americans who understand that, yeah, MAGA is a threat to this nation. Apparently, as Reuters reports, that includes one in four Republicans. So 25 percent, which does not sound all that good in in truth to me, because I guess that means that 75 percent of Republicans do not think that the MAGA movement threatens Americans, uh, Democratic foundations, uh, when it absolutely demonstrably does. Yeah, that is a troubling low number. While Trump remains popular among Republicans, his standing within the party has suffered at least some since the uh, mob of his supporters attacked the U.S. Capitol on January 6 of 2021 in hopes of stopping lawmakers from certifying Joe Biden's election victory. As noted, there are certainly some mixed results in this survey. The Reuters Ipsos poll found that 60 percent of Republicans don't think that MAGA's movement represents the majority of the party, which is good, even if I'm not sure that they're right about that at all. 
much as I didn't think Biden was right when he also very politely uh, said that he didn't think a majority of Republicans buy into MAGA Republicanism when I think the majority of Republicans absolutely do buy into it. But if the uh, Republicans in this survey are correct about the majority of their party not buying into MAGA, as Daily Coast staffer Laura Clausen observed, quote, they're going to need to start acting on that. Because right now it's not really showing, she says. More than half of Republican gubernatorial nominees have sought to undermine the legitimacy of the 2020 presidential election, she notes. Same, she says, goes for Secretary of State nominees in six different states, Attorney General nominees in four states, Senate nominees in seven states, and House nominees in at least 20 states. With that, she adds, at least 60% of voters will see an election denier on their ballot this November. Just one of the reasons I keep pointing out how important this November is. Speaking in Pennsylvania, a key electoral battleground last week, according to Reuters, Biden urged voters to reject Trump and extremism. Republican leaders in turn, including House of Representatives Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, responded by calling Biden divisive. Because, of course, they did. And because, of course, if there's anything Republicans do not like, it would be divisiveness. Hmm. Uh, not sure if uh, is, does the rolling of my eyes come across on the radio. <laughs> I'm not sure. As Clausen notes, uh, quote, the Reuters Ipsos poll also showed how effectively the media is at creating the narrative that both sides are divisive. Finding, as the reporters, as the uh, Reuters report report notes, quote, 59 percent of respondents said Biden's speech will further divide the country. Though just about half of respondents said they didn't even watch or follow the speech at all. In other words, they're getting that from the media. That's the message that the media are sending to them. Clausen notes more people have an opinion about the speech, one that echoes the media narrative, than even followed it a little bit. Well done, she says, priests of the church of both sides. She notes uh, before concluding correctly, we are so screwed unless all those Republican election deniers on the November ballot are soundly defeated. And she's right. More on that in a bit today, because those election deniers are, are working with mixed success, I think, at undermining the 2022 ballot. But we'll get to that a little bit later with some more uh, slightly encouraging news first today. As we previewed on yesterday's broadcast, longtime Donald Trump ally, former aide and former campaign CEO in uh, 2016, Steve Bannon, turned himself in to prosecutors in uh, New York on Thursday to face accountability for yet another one of his crimes. Bannon pleaded not guilty to duping donors who gave money to build a wall on the U.S. southern border in a state-level reboot of the federal case against him that ended with a last-minute presidential pardon, actually on the last day, the final day of Trump's reign uh, last year. 
That was only last year, by the way. God, that's crazy. Uh, Bannon was uh, was released without bail after his arraignment on a six-count indictment, including charges of money laundering, conspiracy, and fraud related to the We Build the Wall campaign. Man, these guys have a lot of fraudulent campaigns. Manhattan prosecutor said that while Bannon promised all donations, 100% of them would go to building that wall on the southern border, he was actually involved in transferring hundreds of thousands of dollars to third-party entities and used the money to, uh, well, use them, those entities, to funnel payments to other people who were involved in the scheme. The group publicly told donors its president and CEO, Air Force veteran Brian Colfage, would not be compensated in any way for these efforts. But Bannon allegedly arranged to pay him by moving money from We Build the Wall through a company that, oh, he happened to control. Ooh. Colfage. Funny uh, how that works. Yeah, isn't it, though? Colfage, who, unlike Bannon, was not pardoned by Trump. Even for the very same scheme, he has uh, pleaded guilty in the federal case uh, back in April, along with another co-conspirator. Colfage had been scheduled for sentencing in the federal case this week, but the sentencing has now been moved to December. But presidential pardons apply only to federal crimes, not to state offenses. So Bannon was off the hook at the federal level, but not at the state level if any state wished to bring charges against them. And apparently New York does. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg said that after Bannon was pardoned in the federal case, Manhattan prosecutors decided that they uh, that they had had to hold him accountable because the alleged scheme ripped off so many in Manhattan. Bragg said at a news conference, quote, the simple truth is it is a crime to profit off the backs of donors by making false pretenses. It is a crime to turn a profit by lying to donors. And in New York, you will be held accountable. Uh, as alleged, he said, Stephen Bannon acted as the architect of a multi-million dollar scheme to defraud thousands of donors across the country, including hundreds of Manhattan residents. Manhattan prosecutors also charged We Build the Wall, Inc., that's the nonprofit entity, uh, I guess quotes around nonprofit, nonprofit <laughs> entity that Bannon and his former federal co-defendants used to solicit donations. The company pleaded not guilty on Thursday as well. Earlier, Bannon accused Bragg of pursuing Quote, phony charges against him, saying the Democratic prosecutor targeted him ahead of the November midterm elections because Bannon and his radio show are so popular among Trump Republican supporters. In a statement on Tuesday this past week, Bannon said federal prosecutors, quote, did the exact same thing in August of 2020 to try and take me out of the election referring to his arrest months before Trump's re-election loss. This is nothing more than a partisan political weaponization of the criminal justice system, said Bannon. And now I mentioned this yesterday, but I think it bears repeating. If this was a partisan political weaponization of the criminal justice system, well, it was a partisan political weaponization by the Trump administration's own Department of Justice. Do not be fooled when you hear Bannon uh, repeat this crap. The federal crimes that were brought against him, for which he was eventually pardoned by our 
corrupt former president, those federal crimes were bought, brought by Bill Barr's Department of Justice against Steve Bannon. It was not by some wild-eyed you know, Democrats trying to shut him up before the 2020 election. As he is hoping that uh, folks don't notice. He doesn't want them to notice, I, I suspect, that it was actually Bill Barr and Donald Trump's DOJ uh, when, when he makes this ridiculous claim. He stole money from his own donors. He pocketed a bunch of it and he passed along a bunch of it to his buddies who had repeatedly claimed they would not take a red cent from this effort. But they did. That is fraud. That is money laundering. That is a crime. A bunch of them at both the federal and the state level. New York Attorney General Letitia James, whose office worked with the Manhattan prosecutors on the case, said it was about holding, quote, powerful political interests to account. They think they are above the law, she said, and the most egregious of them take advantage of hardworking Americans in the process. Steve Bannon stands out as a perfect example of this blatant inequality, she said. In 2020, federal agents pulled Bannon from a luxury yacht off the Connecticut coast. They arrested him on charges that he had pocketed more than $1 million in donations to the wall-building effort. In all, more than $25 million was raised from Steve Bannon and Donald Trump's suckers. Uh, that, according to prosecutors at the time, in that case, the federal prosecutors had alleged Bannon and the co-defendants capitalized on the uh, public fervor over border security and tricked thousands of people into thinking 100 percent of their donations would go to building a wall along the nearly 2000 mile U.S.-Mexico line. In fact, just about three miles of wall were was were built by uh by these clowns, much of it apparently easily scalable and some of which has already begun to fall down because it was so shoddily constructed. Instead, instead of, you know, 100 percent going to the construction, according to the federal prosecutors at the time, Bannon used some of that money to pay personal expenses, you know, like paying off his credit cards. And he paid that secret salary to Colfage, the co-founder of We Build the Wall. All the money you give goes to the wall, Bannon told donors at a June 2019 fundraising event, according to the uh, New York indictment that was unsealed on Thursday. Colfage, who is not charged in the state case, repeatedly pledged, quote, I won't take a penny from these donations, not a penny, unquote according to the indictment on Thursday. As Bannon arrived at the uh, courthouse on Thursday morning, as Politico observed, uh, some onlock, uh, onlookers lobbed insults at the far-right iconoclast who has stoked controversy at frequent terms. In the past, Bannon has suggested, for example, Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease expert, should be executed with his head placed on a pike because that sort of MAGA Republicanism isn't divisive at all. Am I right, Kevin McCarthy? Bannon uh, has also echoed Trump's claims that the 2020 election was stolen. One woman, very satisfyingly, I think, yelled at Bannon as he entered the building on Thursday, quote, stop hurting America, you greasy grifter. <laughs> that uh, that and other heckling uh, drowned out uh, Bannon's own remarks about what a victim he is. 
He was already convicted, by the way, in July on two criminal contempt charges for defying a congressional subpoena from the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. And he is scheduled to be sentenced in October for that. For those two crimes, he faces up to two years in federal prison. Now he may face even more years, hopefully at Rikers Island the New York State prison, alongside the Trump Organization's chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, who recently pled guilty to tax fraud during his years uh, running Trump's campaign. So there's that's good news, right? I think that's some good news. Um, yeah. But it is not all of the Trump-related accountability news that is breaking on Thursday. You may or may not be happy to know. And I know that this is one that I've been looking forward to for some time. So I'm glad to see signs of this. A federal grand jury investigating the activities leading up to the January 6th attack on the Capitol and the push by former President Trump and his allies to overturn the result of the 2020 election. ABC News means to steal the results of the 2020 election. Uh, That grand jury has expanded its probe now to include information about Trump's leadership pack, Save America. That, according to sources with direct knowledge uh, to ABC News, which broke this uh, news. The uh, interest in the fundraising arm came to light as part of grand jury as part of grand jury subpoenas seeking documents, records and testimony from potential witnesses, according to the sources. Now, I don't know if you happen to have ended up on one of these right wing uh, mailing lists that will then almost certainly get you funneled to Trump's leadership pack called Save America. But they are relentless in their fundraising schemes coming in via email. Even I get them, although I've yet to donate. But I'm thinking about (laughs) it. I'm thinking about it because Donald Trump is very concerned that I haven't uh, given enough money yet. Yeah, he might not like you anymore, and I know that means a lot to you. Anyway, the subpoenas have now been sent to several individuals in recent weeks. They're specifically seeking to understand the timeline of Save America's formation, the organization's fundraising activities, and how money is both received and spent by the Trump-aligned Political Action Committee. And if you really want to know how it's organized, well, you might take a look at We Build the Wall, because I have a feeling once they peel away the onion, uh, all the layers of what is here, it's going to look a whole lot like that particular scam where, you know, they make one claim and then they pocket all the money. Trump and his allies have consistently pushed supporters to donate to that pack, often using false claims about the 2020 election and soliciting donations to rebuke the multiple investigations into the former president, his business dealings and his actions on January 6th. They're holding us accountable for crimes, so give us money now. That's basically the theme of all of this, if you get these emails. After the FBI raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate last month, Save America PAC sent out a fundraising email. In w- yes, he even raised money on that, of in course. which uh, Trump urged supporters to, quote, rush in a donation immediately, in all caps, to publicly stand with me against this, all caps, never-ending witch hunt. He stole thousands of uh, national security documents From the White House, he got caught. Therefore, give him money. 
quite a scam. According to Save America's statement of organization filed with the FEC, the committee was established just days after the 2020 election. At the time, the filing said the new committee is affiliated with Trump with the Trump campaign and the Trump Make America Great Committee a joint fundraising committee between the president's uh, campaign and the Republican National Committee at the time, which had been sending out donor solicitations uh, for Save America. In the months leading up to the insurrection on January 6th, Trump raised huge sums of money from donors on the premise that voter fraud was widespread in the 2020 election and the cause of his defeat by now President Joe Biden. That funding, he and his campaign staff and lawyers would say regularly, was needed to cover the exorbitant legal cost of contesting the rigged elections. But they didn't really spend much of the money on fighting the uh, contesting the rigged elections. Investigations by the press and the January 6th committee uh, have both uncovered evidence suggesting Trump used those funds not for their advertised purpose, but to pay for unrelated items and services, including a hefty payment for some reason of $60,000 to a designer who styled First Lady Melania Trump. So if you donated to this effort to uh, contest the stolen election, just know that 60,000 of it went to help uh, Melania Trump look good for some reason. Since its inception, Save America PAC has brought in, hope you're sitting down, more than $135 million, including transfers from affiliated uh, committees, According to disclosure records, as of the end of July, the PAC, according to Open Secrets, reported having just under 100 million in cash on hand. So, yeah, I think it's a lot like we build the wall. They should have just called it we build the scam because <laughs> that's kind of where they are. So I'm glad that that is now finally being looked into by the federal grand jury. That is also looking into January 6th. All of these are, you know, criminal. Yeah, well, I was going to say, ain't nobody going to pardon Donald Trump if he's charged with this. But, well, we'll wait and see if that uh, <laughs> comes to pass. But, no, that is not all. I'm glad they're looking at that, that scam as well. It's difficult to keep up with all of them. So in what may or may not be related news... Though it is related to the very same federal criminal grand jury, this is interesting. The New York Times is reporting that federal prosecutors issued a subpoena to a personal aide to former President Trump as part of the investigation into the uh, into January 6. The move, the paper notes, suggests that investigators have expanded the pool of people from whom they are seeking information in a wide-ranging criminal criminal investigation into efforts by Trump and his allies to reverse his loss in the 2020 election. The New York Times, of course, means his efforts to steal the 2020 election. Uh, and it also means that agents are reaching into the former president's direct orbit now, going to one of his personal aides, a guy by the name of William Russell, well, I've never heard of. He's a 31-year-old aide to Trump who served as a special assistant and the deputy director of presidential advance operations in the White House. 
He was subpoenaed this week. He continued to work for Trump as a personal aide. After Trump left office, he is one of a very small group of officials who did so. So I think it's fair to say this guy may know a lot. It was not immediately clear what uh, federal officials wished to speak with Russell about. But at this point, frankly, take your pick. Yeah, there's so much. It was it was not immediately clear which of Trump's other aides the uh, Justice Department may be interested in interviewing. But last week, former White House counsel Pat Cipollone and his former deputy Pat Philbin testified before this grand jury investigating the fake elector scheme and related issues. Both Cipollone and Philbin were present during key conversations in the White House as Trump sought to use the levers of the federal government to stay in office after his loss to Joe Biden. So they mean use the levers of the federal government to To steal steal the presidential election. Good God, New York Times. It is September 2022. Can you just report what's actually... The DOJ is pursuing the January 6th related investigation as it investigates the handling of hundreds of classified documents that Donald Trump took with him to Mar-a-Lago. And again, took. right, <laughs> stole, took with him to his, his private residence and his uh, private club or whatever it's called in Florida, where this guy, William Russell, also works. So, yeah, take your pick. Lots of crimes. Uh, I'm sorry, alleged crimes to choose from here. And uh, speaking of which, uh, this Mar-a-Lago business, it is now also being reported late today that the DOJ has decided, after all, to appeal this ridiculous order from this Trump-appointed federal judge, Eileen Cannon, who earlier this week placed an injunction on the DOJ's criminal probe, which nobody believes has ever been done before, actually. But the criminal probe into those thousands of pages of stolen government documents stolen by Donald Trump, many of them highly sensitive national security documents. Um, And uh, they will appeal that injunction and her unprecedented order for a special master to review the evidence taken from Mar-a-Lago's club following a different federal judge finding probable cause that, yeah, Trump may have violated at least three federal statutes, including the Espionage Act. So, yes, DOJ, yes, FBI, you may go in and search those grounds and take that stolen material, which was then, which subsequently they are no longer allowed to use at all because a Trump-appointed judge said so. Why? I don't know. And I even read her uh, 24-page ruling. Anyway, hopefully we'll have more on that after the uh, appeal is, is filed and I get a chance to look at it on our next broadcast. But let's take a break right now. Uh, we will come back with some uh, some new uh, criminality by the rest of the Republican Party. Yeah, the one that is hoping to steal the next election for themselves. Yes, more GOP election fraud in the name of preventing election fraud, or at least pretend election fraud. That and also Desi Doyen's first Green News report since we're back from our uh, late summer break. I'm sure she's got nothing (laughs) at all, nothing to talk about today. Nothing but good stuff, sure. 
Sure, Liz, we'll say that. We'll say that. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At The Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. That's groovy. Yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So um, CNN's investigative unit, including Bob Ortega, Audrey Ash, Yaha Abu Ghazala, and Drew Griffin, ran a lengthy, detailed report on Wednesday detailing how Michigan Republican leaders have been training not just party poll watchers for this year's midterm elections, but even official poll workers, you know, those who are responsible for running the polls, handing out the ballots, checking in voters, etc. And this report was on how those Republican Party leaders with a focus on Wayne County, Michigan, that's Detroit, how those Republican Party leaders are actually instructing people uh, to, yes, break the rules when they're doing this job and perhaps even break the law if necessary on behalf of the party in these uh, seminars. You know, these are the same folks who pretend to believe that Democrats are stealing elections by committing fraud. Well, they're teaching their own folks how to commit fraud. And CNN has sort of caught them in the act by uh, recording. Uh, I don't know how they got the material, if they attended it, if it was shared with them, but actually recording one of these Zoom sessions where essentially these Republican Party leaders are telling people how to cheat. And it's a very good and a very detailed report at CNN.com. And I was going to work on summarizing it uh, for you, pulling some of the audio from these training sessions that CNN obtained in which the party leaders are explaining how to violate the rules and or the laws. But Drew Griffin actually ended up doing his own report uh, for this on air. And I think he does a better job than I would be able to do. So uh, so I think it's simply worth sharing in full. By the way, I should note for many years, I've been uh, somewhat suspicious of Griffin. And I think that's a polite way to say it. Uh, he was he actually gave a lot of airtime. I don't know if you remember, he gave a lot of airtime in years past to these uh, Republican fraudsters like James O'Keefe. Yes, he did. And to this whole you know notion of, uh, oh, there must be Democratic voter fraud going on. He gave a lot of play to that nonsense. So I've been, you know kind of suspicious of him. I'm always skeptical and very careful with him ever since. But in recent years, I think maybe, hopefully, I don't know, maybe he's come around from being the sort of right-wing tool that he once was. Anyway, uh, here's Drew Griffin's report uh, on, on this on CNN from Wednesday. Well, don't be fearful, guys. CNN obtained this recording of a Wayne County GOP training session over Zoom the night before the Michigan primary last month. So you're all really undercover agents. Congratulations. That's undercover training. It is extra training, partisan training, not just for volunteers observing elections, 
but including the actual paid election workers who will check in voters, hand out ballots, even help in the counting, which is why what they are being told is alarming. There's a lot of bad stuff that's happening in this upcoming election, so we're going to have to keep our heads on a swivel and just start documenting irregularities. The poll workers are hired by towns and clerks, and Wayne County's Republican chairperson, Cheryl Costantino, tells them they may need to break the rules to uncover fraud. They were told by their trainers that they could not have their phones with them. So I would say maybe just hide it and maybe hide a small pad and a small pen. You need to take accurate notes. If we are observed with a pen and a piece of paper writing on anything, they, they just said they would they would ask us the that they would remove us. That's why you gotta do it secretly. This training for the primary was just practice for the upcoming midterms, according to Costantino. And it's not just what's being taught, it's who is doing the teaching. We think a lot of the monkey business that's happening is happening at the vote aggregation location. That is election denier Patrick Kolbeck who co-led this training session. He's a former state senator who wrote a book called The 2020 Coup and has a blog filled with debunked conspiracy theories about voting machines. He spread so much disinformation about the 2020 election, he got this cease and desist letter from Dominion, the voting machine company, saying, you are knowingly sowing discord in our democracy, all the while soliciting exorbitant amounts of money. All right, well, first of all, uh, he's appeared on Steve Bannon's show and with the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell. We did see evidence that it was connected to the Internet. There is no evidence any voting machines were connected to the Internet in the 2020 election. But Kolbeck is still asking Republican poll workers to check. There's this little icon down the bottom right hand corner. And what I'm trying to do is to see whether or not these machines are indeed connected to the Internet. Kolbeck refused to speak to CNN. But the other leader of the training, Cheryl Costantino, did. You were training these people to be undercover spies. That was the words you were using, and I'm wondering <laughs> why. Well, first of all, if you remember in the election two years ago, there were so many problems. With election staffing, she said, with who counted ballots. But she's an election denier, too. She filed a baseless lawsuit in Detroit alleging election fraud in 2020. It was thrown out. Why did she tell election workers to act like spies? To kind of reframe it and make it more fun and interesting, I said, just, you know, instead of causing a bunch of scenes and things like that, just write it down, just kind of be like spies and let me you know, let me know what's going on. While Michigan's primary election went smoothly. I did nothing wrong. A poll challenger affiliated with Kolbeck and his training was thrown out of Detroit's ballot counting center for repeatedly getting too close to workers. I told them that they were breaking the law. What's happening in Michigan is happening across the nation. Attempts are underway to make sure the ultra-maga run the election process, from poll workers all the way up to candidates for Secretary of State and Attorney General. Trump attorney Cleta Mitchell has led seminars in eight swing states, all under the presumption Democrats cheat. CNN caught up with her in Wisconsin. We'll be able to make sure that there's, um, there's another set of eyes going on, uh, watching the ballots, watching the voting, watching the process, knowing what's going on in the election offices. These uh, training sessions are planned chaos. These people are being radicalized. Jeff Timmer used to lead the Michigan Republican Party. They think they're saving democracy from the cannibal socialists, where in fact what they're doing is eroding the public's faith in, in elections.
Jake, Michigan's Secretary of State says her state is ready for any issues that may arise from these partisan training sessions. And the clerks who run the elections can remove anyone violating the rules. But on a more positive note, and there is one here, those same clerks are telling me that most of the distrust of the electoral system is born of ignorance, as we've seen so many times. And when these suspicious workers actually get in there and get their feet wet and see how elections are run, according to the clerks, they generally become believers in the system. Let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope so. Indeed, that was uh, <laughs> yeah. Drew Griffin on CNN. And, you know, the thing is, so that, that woman that you heard uh, instructing them to be spies right. for her and give information. Make it more fun. I just have to underscore. She is the head, the chair of the Wayne County GOP, Wayne County Republican Party. Wayne County is Detroit. And she is telling people to do things they are not supposed to do, like bring pencil and paper and phones into the into the polling place. So uh, and I suspect if that is going on in Detroit, in Michigan, I suspect it's going on elsewhere, as we've seen, as we talked with the Marilyn Marks on our previous broadcast about this Coffee County uh, breach of voting systems in Georgia, in Coffee County, that basically, you know, mirrors what we saw elsewhere in Georgia, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, and so forth. These are national efforts. This is not Cheryl Constantino or whatever her name is, you know, coming out of nowhere with this idea that, hey, why don't we do this? Right. I mean, this is they've been making a big uh, the Republicans have been making a huge public relations Mm -hmm. push talking about how they are spending all of this money recruiting poll workers and poll watchers to uh, to get involved in elections. Which, by the way, yeah, which is a great idea. It would be great if Democrats would do that, too. Well, and I think Democrats, that's sort of my point. You know, it's it's fine. It's good to, uh, you know, for Republicans, for Democrats, for anyone else to recruit poll workers and to recruit poll watchers. But to suggest to them that they should cheat, that is a different matter. So how to counter this? Well, for one, you, yes, you can be a poll worker or a poll watcher. Your frankly, your county or your town uh, really needs you this year to to do exactly that, especially with so many poll workers from past years sort of being freaked out, scared away by these MAGA wingnuts and their threats and everything else. But you, you can and should volunteer and or get paid. Yes, it's for a ridiculously long day, where but you will be really, really serving your nation and your democracy and potentially helping to counter any wingnut chicanery uh, like they're advertising in Michigan there uh, that we may see at the polls this year. All hands on deck. Voting is no longer enough as far as I'm concerned. No, it's not. It's not. And and if you are able to volunteer as a poll watcher even uh, or as a poll mm-hmm. worker or as an election judge, in all of those ways, you are then somebody who is there to protect and defend the voters from people who might try to come in and uh, disrupt or dislodge them from voting. So it, it helps to have the good people show up. Up, the the pro democracy people show up to protect the voters. And I will also add uh, our friend uh, our friends at scrutineers.org. They will help you do this, and they will help you do this without cheating. Uh, scrutineers.org will help you sign up, and they will you know teach you how what needs to be done, and so on and so forth. 
So uh, check them out. Yeah, all hands on deck. As I say, voting itself is no longer enough, but it's really important. So please do that, too. Uh, meantime, I had another story of, of voter fraud claims by the uh, Republicans just absolutely falling apart. But I'm going to put that off for another day, because while we were uh, sharing that Drew Griffin story, uh, this just in via Washington Post the Michigan Supreme Court on Thursday has ruled in favor of adding a proposal to the November ballot enshrining the right to an abortion in the state's constitution, ending a partisan feud that unexpectedly erupted when a state board refused to approve the question last week. Now, you'll recall that when they overturned, when the stolen and, and, and packed and corrupted Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade back in June, just a few months ago, Republicans were like, yay, that's great, because this is really an issue that should be decided at the state level. Well, voters in Michigan would like to decide it at a state level. In fact, they had a record number of people sign up for this ballot initiative to enshrine the, the right to an abortion into the state constitution. But guess what? The four-person state canvassing board has two Republican members on it, and they both voted against allowing this initiative on the ballot, even though it got a record number. 750,000 people signed uh, this petition to put this onto the ballot. The Republicans blocked it. Why did they block it? Well, ostensibly, well, we know why they blocked it, but their <laughs> right. claim for why they blocked it was because the font had bad spacing on mm. the petition. Not the wrong font size. They had the eight point fonts that they were, but that some of the words were too close together, making it too difficult to read what was on the petition. Oh, please. That's really what they claimed. And they stopped it while they said, we're not going to vote for it if it doesn't, uh, you know, if you don't get a majority in favor of the uh, putting this onto the ballot, then it doesn't go through. So they took it to the Michigan Supreme Court and uh, flagged for them these these passages where the words were too close to get. There were spaces there, but they were just too close. Anyway, uh, as of this hour, it looks like the Michigan Supreme Court has thrown out that nonsense and that the uh, the will of the voters will actually get on the ballot. That's nice. The will of the voters and the right to reproductive freedom in Michigan. Now we'll see what the voters have to say about it. Unless Republicans get in there and muck things up at the polls. All right, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and our latest, our uh, first Green News report since uh, taking a break last yep. week. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, 
Hey, Desi Doyen, have you noticed how I have not whined all show long <laughs> about our relentless, unending heat wave here in Southern yes. California? Yes, I did. I don't know what's gotten into me. We still don't have air conditioning in this room. And it's We're still, still really both hot. sweltering. <laughs> yes. So uh, just too much news to keep up with uh, to have time for my whining. That's why we have our latest Green News Report. We're heading to the worst part of this heat wave, and the risk for outages is real, and it's immediate. Historic heat wave strains electric grids in the U.S. West. Russia's actively manipulating the gas market. Russia's new threat to shut off all energy exports to Europe. Plus, just the scale of uh, the flooded area, the numbers of people involved, um, it's, it's truly horrific and, and frankly frightening because it's such an obvious indicator of the impact of climate change. Humanitarian crisis unfolds in Pakistan amid catastrophic flooding. All of that crises and catastrophe straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Given the scientific predictions, this summer with its oppressive and widespread heat waves, is likely to be one of the coolest summers of the rest of our lives. Well, thank you for that terrible news, Gina Raimondo, Secretary of Commerce. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we are back after a week or so off. I'm sure everything is fine. There's nothing to report. No concerns about the climate (laughs) as of today. Oh, I wish that were so. So do I. However, I do have some good news for Jackson, Mississippi. Uh Water pressure has been restored to the city after weeks of total shutdown. The city's water system was already fragile due to decades of underfunding and deferred maintenance, and then it was crippled last month by catastrophic flash floods. Jackson will get some repair funding from President Biden's infrastructure law, but on Tuesday, Mississippi's Republican Governor Tate Reeves, who previously vetoed new funding for Jackson's water system, said this. I'm open to um, all options. Privatization is on the table. Oh, great. I thought that was supposed to be the good news story. (laughs) As a matter of fact, if you're starting with the good news... Boy, the rest of this GNR must be pretty grim. Well, yes, this summer of heat and floods is continuing in the United States. While we were out, Rhode Island and Georgia were the latest U.S. states to careen from drought to torrential rain and floods. Providence, Rhode Island and Somerville, Georgia, a thousand miles apart, were both hit with nearly a foot of rain in 12 hours over the Labor Day weekend, Mm. triggering flash floods that inundated neighborhoods and roadways and collapsed buildings. We have seen this in about a half a dozen states in just the past month this year. It's been about eight or nine. Oh, man. In the U.S. West, a persistent, historic, extreme heat wave has entered its second week, breaking hundreds of temperature records and fueling deadly wildfires. In California, dozens of records have been shattered by 10 degrees or more, Mm. severely straining the state's power grid. State capital Sacramento hit a new all-time high record of 116 degrees. A new study projects that because of climate change, by 2050, dangerous extreme heat waves will likely hit at least three times more often around the world. And it's not only the triple-digit temperatures, it's also the duration of this thing. Exactly. Day after day after day. It's, It's amazing out here. 
Scientists say the searing heat and deadly floods are part of the global pattern of man-made climate change, turbocharging extreme weather and pummeling our critical infrastructure. In other news, the United Nations is requesting nearly $170 million in additional aid for Pakistan, now facing a humanitarian crisis amid the worst flooding in the country's history. Two months of torrential downpours and heat-induced rapid glacier melt generated catastrophic floods that have put one-third of the country underwater. At least 1,400 people are confirmed dead, Mm. 33 million displaced, and in dire need of food, water, and shelter. 33 million displaced? Damages are in the billions, increasing calls for climate reparations. Damage payments from rich countries most responsible for man-made climate change to developing countries like Pakistan that have contributed little to the crisis. In Europe, natural gas prices tripled after Russia refused to restart the European Union's main gas pipeline after a temporary shutdown for repairs. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday threatened to halt all energy sales to Europe if Western countries follow through with a proposed cap on Russian oil and gas prices. And finally, while we were out, California state regulators voted to phase out sales of new gasoline-powered cars, setting interim targets for carmakers to ultimately reach 100% zero-emission vehicle sales by 2035. More than a dozen states may follow California's lead, representing 40% of the U.S. car market. So there's that. Beyond that, of course, we go away for a week and everything falls apart. (laughs) It was all so good before we left. (laughs) For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. Summer's supposed to be over, but it's still hot. Nothing but hot fun in the <laughs> summertime. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yep. Uh, thanks to all of our uh, listeners out there for spending a, a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. No paywall. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. You can drop me email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am simply the Brad Blog. But before I go, I gotta say, hey, happy birthday, Mom. We love you. We wish we could be there with you. Um, I know it's a big one, but of course, at your age, I think at this point, they're all pretty big ones. That said, <laughs> we love you and we miss you. Happy birthday, Mom. Happy birthday. Got to get out. That's it. We will uh, see you on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, at the Brad blog, wherever, until we meet here again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.